these. So these are where the questions come from. This yeah. is where it stems from. This is what makes it fun. I mean, it's worth it to not get caught for murder. Welcome back to Creepy Campfire, your source for all things strange, the unexplainable, the infamous, and the mysterious. Here are your hosts, Jordan and Ryan. Hey, Jordan. Hey, Ryan. How you doing? I was really pitched. That was high <laughs> pitch. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you? You know, I'm I'm really good. I've had a good day. Good day at work. Found I forgot. I I knew people at work listened to the podcast. Yeah. But I, I just kind of forgot a little bit, and then I got a little nervous because I was like, I don't think I've said anything bad about work on here because <laughs> I like my job. Yeah. And I like the majority of the people I work with. So I was like, oh, I hope I haven't. And then I was like, no, no, you're fine. You didn't do it. Besides anything. Tim, right? Oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> Forget that guy. Random name drop, just trying to get him in trouble. No, it made me laugh because I, I called my boss to check in at the end of the day, and my boss's boss was like, oh, is that Joe Rogan? And he was so confused. He was like, Joe Rogan, what are you talking about? I was like, because I do a podcast. Oh, I was like, who God. is it? <laughs> That's great. But I was like, oh, I forgot that my boss's boss listens to this. So I... But then I was like, ah, I've never, never said anything bad about work because yeah. I really like my work, and that's actually genuine. You gotta, I mean, hopefully. I had a kid yesterday. Like, think I was the coolest thing. You had a kid yesterday. He thought I was the coolest thing while I was spraying his mom's house. He like ran up and hugged me before I left. What? Yeah. Wanted to Hero. know. Wanted to know how everything worked. He was like, "That's so cool." Getting rid of all the bugs. That's right. Think you're like a superhero or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you are you Ant Man? <laughs> I'm the bug guy. Bug bug man. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a good day. But it did. But yeah. So today it, it did spook me a little bit because I was like, I don't think because you know everybody's got days where you vent a little bit. You're like, yeah. oh, today just was a crappy day, and it's more about the day being crappy than the job. That makes sense. But I was like, yeah, I think I'm in the clear. They 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 know where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> So you've good, you've been good. Yeah, I've been good. Yeah, yeah, had the, had a good day off. Getting Started it off with some some local delicious new pastry, and yes. coffee, and it's always a good way to start the day. Mm-hmm. One of the finer establishments in Sacramento. Yeah, shout out Ginger. That's right, Ginger Elizabeth. Um, but yeah, it's, it was so nice this morning. It's finally getting to where like you wake up and it's not. St- it doesn't feel like noon of the day before, so you can wake up and. Mm-hmm. Go on a nice walk now. It's like super nice in the morning. Yeah, this past week has been it's been a little hotter though until today. Mm-hmm. A little heat spike. I know. Yeah, tom- I was on the way over here. I was hearing that like tomorrow's it's getting uh, there's gonna be like heat warnings in the bay and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Even so, I haven't heard anything about high temperatures out here, but I'm not sure what that means. Yeah, they got like 90 a couple days, but mm-hmm. anyway. So before we begin the topic, yeah. You've announced it on Instagram. I've announced it at least on one episode that will be up before this one. Uh-huh. Uh, but I just want to remind everybody again, we have a new call-in number. So uh, if yes. you guys have a story, if you want to tell us how you feel about the show, just say hi, anything like that at all, we would love it. And that number is going to be 916-359-9446. Oh, did you give people the wrong number? Yeah, we'll see. When that was why I was asking the other day. When you, you see, <laughs> I'll post a I'll post a correction post tomorrow. Uh, Good. Well, thankfully people haven't been calling me. So um, if you have been calling in, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, shoot me that number tomorrow. Yep. Or tonight. 
So give us a call. Let us know. And if you can, when you finish your, your message, leave a little yay or nay on there if we can actually put this if we have permission to put it on an episode because even if you're just saying hi how much you like the show or even if it's a prank call or something we st- we still would like to be able to put it on the show yeah. so just please do that for me yeah and if you want leave uh, leave your information we can reach out to you if you want to be yeah. contacted about it first yeah, I mean. if you have any kind of follow up if you like because we could follow up your your voicemail with the interview possibly mm-hmm. um, we, we would love to absolutely do that well, yeah, your buddy Ethan tried to leave a message, but he was saying it wasn't. Was he saying the time wasn't long enough? I don't know. I have to. I have to ask. So him. We'll have he, to, he literally just did it. So we'll have to look into how uh, how long it's allowing people to to do it. Leave a message for. Hey guys, Ryan jumping in real fast. Um, we have since found the problem with this, so it's a three minute maximum on that voicemail. So if you do call in, you got three minutes to tell us your message. But if it cuts you off, don't worry. Just call back. Leave as many as you need to to get get your story across because, believe me, we want to hear it and we want to share it with the audience. So, all right. Thank you, guys. So, Jordan, I've kept you in the dark a little bit for today's topic. Besides the actual, I guess, the subject. The main player. Yeah. So I did tell you that it is about Houdini, Mm -hmm. as the listeners who will see this title will also know. Um, but it's not just about Houdini. I learned an interesting tidbit that we're going to stretch a tidbit into a full episode about Houdini, that he was actually a medium debunker that in his the later part of his career, mm-hmm. he spent that going to seances, meeting mediums and having them do their tricks. Well, having them do their actions Perform their services. And him debunking them as tricks. Huh. And I was just like, this is the coolest thing I've heard in a long time. I'm doing an episode on it. Yeah, I had no idea. Neither did I. It was like the last thing I thought about. I just knew of him being an escape artist. I didn't even think of him as a magician. Yeah. Because everything I kept looking up about him, like talked about him being a magician. I'm like, oh, I guess he is. But I feel like I put escape artists in their own category, separate from magicians. Well, I knew that that's how he had started. Was as a as like a regular or you know a magician. Mm-hmm. How are you? Um, but I knew that that was kind of what he was known for was the escape, the crazy escape acts, and that's what ended up being his. Mm-hmm his fate at the end there right no no we'll get to his fate at the end Mm. but um but that's what the latter part of his career was 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 busting these mediums out and i'm i'm i chose this i know it sounds like it's a debunking episode off the jump but it's not entirely and we'll get into why later so just hang in there with me if you are pro mediums and pro spiritualists and we're I want to make it clear we're not saying that all of them are debunk. We're just saying this is the, the, the route that Houdini took. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm pro-Dini, but I'm open yeah. to uh, mm-hmm. I'm open to whatever. Pro-Dini. Pro-Dini. So I think before we get into Houdini's background, a lot like we did with uh, Richard Gallagher uh, when we talked about exorcisms and the exorcisms he performed, we should give you a background on what an exorcism was yeah on this one we should give you a background on what seances and specifically spiritualism sounds good i because i i feel like i've known what a seance is mm-hmm. for the most part but uh when it comes down to the nitty-gritty like if, if like for a line for line definition or description i couldn't tell you yeah so his big big 
push against this was against the spiritualist movement. Mm-hmm. And it it has faded in and out throughout the decade, throughout the centuries probably. Um, but what we know it as, its height was in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Okay. Okay. And spiritualism defined by Webster's Dictionary is a system of belief or religious practice based on a supposed communication with spirits of the dead, especially through mediums. Gotcha. Pulling from Wikipedia uh, for the source for seances, I'll give you a brief, brief backstory Mm -hmm. into what seances are. So a seance is an attempt to communicate with spirits. The word seance comes from the French word for session. Uh, from an older French seor or to sit. In French, the word's meaning is quite general. One may, for example, speak of. I can't pronounce that in French. I'm skipping. That oh, part. come on. Go to chat. Une séance de cinéma. Okay. Probably way off. But the word. I got in, seance in there. <laughs> in English, uh, it became to be used for a general gathering uh, to receive messages from ghosts or listen to spirits. Okay, so there's a few different varieties of seance. Um, there are religious seances. Um, in the religion of spiritualism, the, re- the religion of divine metaphysics, it is generally a part of services to communicate with living, living personalities in the spirit world. Usually this is only called seance by outsiders. The preferred term for spiritualist is receiving messages. But the following types are the ones that we're really going to focus on, and that's stage mediumship, leader-assisted seances, and informal social seances. So, st- Damn, I had no idea that there were like several types of them. Yeah, so many standards for different types. There's only like minute differences in between them, but yeah. I'm going to go through them really quickly. Mediums who contacted spirit, and this is for stage mediumship seances. Mediums who contact spirits of the dead or other spirits while on stage with audience members seated before them are not literally holding a seance because they themselves are not seated. However, this is still called seance. One of the foremost early practitioners of this type to contact with the dead was Paschal Beverly Randolph, who worked with spirits on the relatives of audience members but was also famed for his ability to contact and deliver messages from ancient seers and philosophers such as Plato. Cool. Leader-assisted seances. Leader-assisted seances are generally conducted by small groups of people, with participants seated around a table in a dark or semi-dark room. The leader is typically asserted to be a medium, and he or she may go into a trance that theoretically allows the spirits to communicate through his or her body conveying messages to the other participants. Other modes of communication may also be attempted, including psychography or automatic writing, numbered raps, levitation of a table or of a spirit trumpets, a ports, or even smell. It was thought spirits of the dead resided within the realm of dark and shadow, making the absence of light a necessity to invoke them. Skeptics were unwilling to accept this required condition, saying you would not buy an automobile if it was only presented in the dark. (laughs) And then finally we have informal social seances. 
Among those with an interest in the occult, a tradition has grown up of conducting seances outside of any religious context and without a leader. Sometimes only two or three people are involved, and, if they are young, they may be using the seance as a way to test their understanding of the boundaries between reality and the paranormal. It is in such small seances that the planchette and Ouija board are most often utilized. Okay, so now that you've gone through them, I have definitely seen them all depicted, all the different kinds, but I guess I didn't necessarily think of, like, them all being sorts of seances. Because, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I guess I kind of put the, what was the second one? With the, like, the whoever. The leader-led yeah. seance. That's the most common that you're going to think about, where mm-hmm. you're in the dark room, around the round table. Well, it makes me think of the small table and, like, Madame Leota from, like, uh, Haunted Mansion and exactly. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah if you've like rode the Haunted Hall Mansion... You've seen a mock seance. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I was going to ask you the first one, the uh, the mediumship, um, the sta- stage staged mediumship. Mm-hmm. There was one. There was a show when I was a kid. I cannot remember the name of it to save my life, but oh. I was always up. I was always up way too late. Are you talking about the guy with the earpiece that would be like on stage? You. You have a relative that died that starts with the letter C. Yes, that like one. black and blue mm-hmm. stage yep. and seats every night. Like, mm-hmm. every night. I, uh, it was huge. It was, it was a continual thing, though, for years. It was big. I, yeah, okay. So that's the, only, that's the only example I have of that. But I was like, man, that was something I couldn't. I watched maybe a collected 15 minutes of that of <laughs> the thousands of times I've seen it on. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's too much. But that's, I mean, that's a good general rundown of that. So that guy was doing the stage led. Yeah. Then, like, the the ones you think of in, in the small shacks and stuff, where you're all around a table holding hands and mm-hmm. around a crystal ball, like, yes, that's the stereotypical version of a, of a leader-led seance. And then you don't really think of the informal social ones as much but it was very big back in in the early 1900s late 1800s yeah when spiritualism was like up and kicking it was it's like oh we're bored at this party let's just make a seance because that sounds like a good idea i know i feel like it was kind of like a like a it was something that the people of wealth and affluence did kind of behind closed doors for mm-hmm. a minute there because i mean otherwise i don't think it would be depicted the way it is in so many movies and stuff like that because mm-hmm. it's always like the higher ups and people that are well off and people have money that money to have time yeah but they always kind of keep it hush hush because they don't really want people knowing mm-hmm. about that kind of side of what they do hey martha you want to have a seance <laughs> yes yeah. <laughs> yeah and then they and then you show up at their house and they're all covered in like cult robes no <laughs> uh Okay, I was going to... Uh, Ouija boards. Yes. Is that technically, when you do like a little session of that, is that technically kind of so a seance? So they are classifying that as, as part of the, the social seances. The informal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's actually a good segue to go into the tools that the mediums used for the seances. Mm-hmm. So like they... they I had mentioned earlier they had a few tools that they they used. The Ouija board was one of them. Yeah. It was kind of a later version of one of them, mm-hmm. um, which uh, eventually we're going to do a Ouija board episode, so I won't get too de- in depth with that. Yeah, but that was actually on the later end of the spiritualist movement. Um, but there were a lot of things. One of the one of the beginning things were table tipping, and um, you a lot of people were found to have trick tables. 
So you could manipulate them in certain ways to make them um, go off kilter, to levitate, to move, and it, it, and it seemed as if you weren't doing anything to it. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of like, um, you know those like pop-up um, awnings that have like just like a rivet button that you push in and you pull the pole up? Yeah. But if you push the button, it'll drop down. Mm-hmm. Just makes me think of like you had that button next to a table leg and you just hit it with your knee real quick and all of a sudden the table goes topsy-turvy. And yeah. People are like, what's happening? But you know what's happening. You got hydraulics on your table. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they, they had these very elaborate trick tables to, yeah. to perform these things. And then... Um, Another method was automatic writing, where in automatic writing and a lot of these other forms of mediumship, and and again, I'm not trying to disparage all mediums. But this is all merely speculation and well, the, these evalu- are evaluation. These are these are people who have actually been busted. Oh, really? Doing the tricks, it's it, you know, and there's plenty of people that perform real amazing acts that have people do knockoff versions. Yeah. These are the people that got busted doing the knockoffs. Okay. Um, Because, like, I personally, I I do believe that it is a thing because it is mentioned biblically, and I live my life by that book. So if it says it in there, I'm living by it. Mm -hmm. Quick background, there was a a section in there where Saul, the first king of Israel, was was looking after David, like David and Goliath, that David. Yeah. Um, he was trying to track him down and kill him. And he was so desperate that he was like, bring in the mediums so somebody can like use their powers to tell me where he's at. And they were like, but King, you ran them all out of town. And he was like, I don't care. Find them and bring them back. And they brought them back. And they had a, essentially a seance. And um, the, the priest that put him into power, who was called Samuel, and was also his mentor, um, showed up and was like, hey, why are you, you shouldn't be doing this right now. Like, I shouldn't be here. Yeah. So, like, one mention of a ghost, two mention of mediums and a seance. So, I won't completely rule out that it's a thing. So, bear that in mind when we're talking of all of the people using the, quote, tricks of the trade. These are just people that have been busted trying to fake it. And I think a lot of times, too, and this kind of happens with poltergeist cases and alien cases where something incredible happens to somebody one time and they tell people, but they're going to look like a liar. So they want to try to find a way to replicate it. Yeah. So they don't look like a liar. So I could see that. I think there might be some cases of that here. Yeah. Anyway, long digression back to the point. Table tipping is one thing. Automatic writing. Um, the medium would put themselves into a trance to allow themselves to be taken over by said spirit. Mm-hmm. And then the spirit would either would, would usually write onto the paper, could draw things, it could write messages out. Um, and that was kind of that was one of the slight precursors to Ouija boards. Okay. Uh, with a Ouija board, you don't have to necessarily be possessed. It'll move the planchette and spell things out versus you going into a trance and it taking your body over and writing. Although I have, I mean, I think that there has always been, at least as far as what I've seen, I've never done one, but as far as what I've seen, as far as Ouija boards go, is they always have, like, their hand on the cursor or Yeah, whatever, you always right? have it on the planchet. Is there supposed to be, like, the physical contact or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. And some of them even have a rule where your, like, knees have to touch the board and, and oh, things wow. like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we have automatic writing, we have Ouija boards, we have table tipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also... Um, 
sometimes people would be possessed and the, they would speak the voices of said spirit. Um, sometimes it would be in their voice. Other times it would be a lot of what we hear in these um, possession and poltergeist cases where it's a a person speaking but totally different voice that they speak. Yeah. And then after that, it's a lot of uh, um, objects being manipulated is the best way I can put it. So bells that be that are rung um, supposedly with no one touching them, trumpets being touched and moved and played with um, seemingly without anyone touching them, and a lot of similar things to that sort. As soon as uh, that you mentioned that, as soon as as soon as like going into one of those scenes, and whoever is performing the medium is like uh, gives like a not an ultimatum, but a you know if you hear me, then then something specific happens or something goes off and it's like it's like they're almost just uh, queuing whatever to mm-hmm. to happen like the table's going to shake or the or the thing's going to fly off the shelf right. or whatever hey assistant in the back ring the bell as soon as you hear that i'm out i'm like mm-hmm. eat <laughs> <laughs> nope well i mean i get that you have to channel it some way but mm-hmm. i don't know i would okay it would, it would maybe take once or twice but i feel like it'd catch on pretty quick i'm just skeptical right. going into it right well, and that's it. Also, speaks of the time a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about what it is. We've talked about what they use. Let's talk about the context and the time around it, a bit around this big spiritualist movement. Yeah, it's a generation away from the Civil War, where a lot of people lost loved ones. Uh-huh. It's and it's, it's specifically in the time Houdini was busting these people. It's shortly after World War One, where a lot of people worldwide lost people. Oh, yeah. So there's there's so much death and so many lost people and so many broken people yeah. that they would just do anything to hear from their lost husband, wife, son, father, mother, daughter. Like any, They would do anything. And people capitalize on that. Unfortunately. And that's what drove part of the reason that drove Houdini so heavily into this because he felt like there's a lot of these people that are just heartbroken that are being taken advantage of. He was providing a service. Exactly. So yeah, so that that's kind of what really drove this big push. And then on top of that, we're in a weird scientific time where science sciences I don't want to say they feel like they've mastered the physical and they're trying to push the limits on that. Mm-hmm. But it almost feels that way a little bit. Like, okay, so we're understanding how to do things scientifically for for all of these, like, biological and physical things. Let's see if that applies to some um, metaphysical and, and, and... Paranormal. Yeah, things yeah. as well. So that's why you have things like, okay, I can call in response this bell to ring, and I can prove that scientifically because in my scientific method, I can experiment and do this enough times to make this bell ring every time. Yeah supposedly without touching it meaning that if i'm not touching it and you're not touching it it must be a ghost touching it Mm -hmm. so that's you in this area you get some funky experiments well yeah you have to wonder you have to kind of like it's it would be hard for us to do but to put yourself in the mind frame of somebody in that time or Mm -hmm. like you know just the general population's uh collective yeah um mind wise there was, I feel like there was a lot more openness to those kind of things back then. Spirituality was, I feel like, just, uh, well, not only encouraged, but um, 
it was just it was a lot more prevalent back in the day it I was like. and even if you weren't prescribing to or i'm sorry subscribing to one of the main religious or one of the main religions of the time mm-hmm. you still had some sort of spiritualism yeah you you still believed that the soul was there and the soul was eternal just maybe christians or jews or muslims have it wrong but there still is a soul for sure and I feel like I don't want to see the I don't want to say like the naivete that 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 the, some some of it is is kind of kind of goes in line with some of the naivete that was going around in the same time as science like mm-hmm. just people were so open to trying a bunch of stuff that they weren't really thinking about any of the yeah. consequences at the time. And that's a good way to put it because I've preached on this so many times. Just because Aunt Tilly says she's the one talking to you doesn't mean it's Aunt Tilly. Yeah. And even if you are trying to be a crook and, and t- dupe somebody of their money and you're like saying you, you're just out there saying, oh, yes, take me over and make me your vessel. <laughs> yeah. Like something might jump in there and do that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't I don't uh, might, maybe not. But I don't want to open you're the door. yourself up to uh, uh, not welcome. Not welcome. Yeah. No. So that's mediumship and spiritualism. Mm hmm. In a very condensed nutshell. And some context. And a little bit of context. For time for the, <laughs> for the exactly. time factor. Gotcha. So now let's go into the man of the hour who might just be a candidate for paranormal man of the year. Cool. Houdini. Back over to good old Wikipedia. Quick background on Houdini. If you're one of the like three people in the world that don't know who Harry Houdini was. Um, he was born Eric Weiss. I hope I said that right. W-E-I-S-Z, who later changed his name to Harry Houdini. He named himself after a magician he, he was very fond of, um, Hudo, but it was spelled Houdini without the I on the end. So okay. it was I believe it was a French, um, French magician. So he adds the I to the end. Now he's Houdini. Uh, but he was born March 24th, 1874. And he was a Hungarian-born American illusionist and stunt performer, noted for his sensational escape acts. He first co- attracted notice in vaudeville in the United States, then as Harry Handcuff Houdini, on a tour of Europe where he challenged police forces to keep him locked up. Soon he extended his repertoire to include chains, ropes, slung from skyscrapers, straitjackets, underwater and having to escape from and hold his breath inside of a sealed milk can with water in it houdini was the okay i'm just like i knew a little bit about houdini before doing this research and he like i love houdini now like he was ballsy like he was american and like he he was born in he was hungarian born uh his family moved to wisconsin and like what is i feel like that's one like the more american brass statements to make it, saying that there's not a prison in the world that can hold me oh yeah because i'll escape from it handcuffs pff, jail cells what's that when did you say he moved to the u.s when how old is he oh let me see if it said i'm like trying to wonder i'm wondering how old he was when he came over here he arrived in the United States on July 3rd, day before July 4th. That's a great time to get here. Oh, yeah. Uh, 1878. Wow. Uh, he was born in Budapest, and his father was rabbi, Rabbi Meyer Samuel um, Wies and Cecilia Steiner Wies. 
Okay. He was one of seven children. Did not know that. Yeah. So he uh, he came over here. He did the thing. Houdini was great. Um, he was. He, some people say he was America's first superstar. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know him still today, almost a hundred years later. Yeah. By one name, and there's very few people that can go by just one name. Well, and if you've ever shown any interest in magic mm-hmm. <laughs> or magicians in general or any illusionist kind of thing like that then you know you you should know who houdini is oh like yeah that, that name is like you don't know you don't walk into that mm-hmm. that line without and i always liked grades. it i never was like the kid into magic yeah. but like i loved Penn and teller uh-huh um I, I found out about Houdini and I liked the escape acts and I, I knew it was always fake, but that was what made it cool to me is I wanted to figure out how they were smart enough to make that happen. Oh yeah. Do you remember at your school, did they have the, the, the book catalogs uh-huh. that at the end of them would have like the little science kit and like the, the magic kits too? Oh yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> definitely, that was where I got it. That was like kind of my intro. Ah oh, man harking back to that that's been a long time been a while that brought that up sorry no you're good yeah i don't know i just want, like here's a little like gush sesh about him like there's just so many cool things he bought a plane because he could and was the 25th person to fly that's awesome that's like buying a rocket right now and being like i'm flying to the moon because i want to yeah and you're being like are you sure that's kind of not safe and you could totally die from that eh, want to be, be the 25th uh, person to do it i'll so. be i'll be fine i'll be fine <laughs> And he was. He was fine. Um, yeah, so Houdini was legit. And he had kind of humble beginnings. He was started doing card tricks and things like that and was mm-hmm. doing okay. But his manager was like, man, but those escape acts, that's what's really going to, like, make people think you're awesome. And he, he big draws. And he pushed it, and he did. And there's been some people that a lot of his tricks have been figured out. He exposed a lot of them after he retired. He, he wrote several books. Yeah. Uh, one in, one of them we'll go into a little bit later, um, but but I mean he was just he was a cool dude. He finished it uh, his career and and he was letting people know, oh yeah, these are my old tricks. I'm gonna be doing cooler stuff, and and build upon this instead of just the same old thing all the time. Yeah. So I have to wonder. Uh, I mean, a lot of people, if if you again, if you've heard of magic, you nowadays have probably heard of Chris Angel. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if like the kind of the social context of Harry Houdini in that time, I feel like he was, like you said, how he was like a superstar back then. Mm -hmm. Chris Angel kind of was, but I mean, he's got such a, I mean, now there's so many more people in the world anyways, but he's got such a smaller like niche of fans as opposed to everybody in the global respect. But I don't don't know. know. I feel like, like Chris Angel and David Blaine, like if nothing else, we know their name. Yeah. Like if you, yeah, this is one of those things where if you can, if you can make people not figure it out and do like something on a huge scale, Mm -hmm. it'll get you there. Yeah. Maybe not Houdini status because that's hard to be topped. But yeah, I mean, Chris Angel and David Blaine and Penn and Teller are like the only ones I can think of, and I never really followed Magic. Yeah, so. I've seen some of the stuff that David Blaine's done, and a, like a handful of things that Angel's done, and I've just never really cared for Angel or his style. Well, we're never getting him on the pod now. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, uh, but David Blaine, if we if we could, feel free, <laughs> guest star. 
So one other bit of Houdini's background that is important to the story is... So Houdini was very fond of his mother. When he reached his fame, got his success, he had bought... I can't find the queen right now, but one of the queens of England, he had purchased a form, her former dress. I okay. want to say Queen Elizabeth, possibly. Yeah. Um, and in today's money, I think he paid about a million bucks for it. And he unveiled his mother in the part into a party in Queen Elizabeth's dress, and he said it was it was one of the most proud days of his life. Like he loved his mother. Yeah. And she unfortunately passed eventually, mm-hmm. and it just kind of broke him. He he came back. Um, I think he was on tour in Europe at the time. Broke his tour off. Came back home. Um, they actually held the funeral off, which in Jewish tradition they don't typically do. Um, they they held the funeral off so he could make it back for it. Oh, cool. And for some reports say up to a year after his mom's death, he went to her grave every night. And not just like went there and visited, but like laid on top of her grave. Wow. And would talk to her grave. Hmm very much loved and missed his mother um so it's kind of a tender it's a real tender spot for him yeah and you see it be kind of played on a little bit by by a close friend of his sir conan doyle which if you don't know who sir conan doyle is he is the author of sherlock holmes yeah arthur conan doyle they were they were good buddies but it did not end that way so I did not know that they were friends. They were. That's cool. They were. So they were buddies and Conan Doyle was it was pretty ironic cuz while his character that he had created was extremely logical, very often disproving the occult, he was on the other side of that and was all into it was 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 deep into it was like spiritualism's for sure a thing definitely believe oh. in mediums he's like i think my wife actually is a is a, a definite medium okay and he kept kind of pestering houdini about it and houdini's like no man he's like they're they're playing tricks on you like i'm sorry but i i can do cooler things to the point i could trick you the wheel way yeah exactly and, and he kept bugging him about it. he's like no man he's like i promise you th- th- these are a thing and he and at one point, Houdini is like, all right, let's 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 do this trick then. He's like, I have a cork ball right here. I'm going to cut it in half to show you all it is is a cork ball. He's like, you pick a half and drop it in this little cup of ink. He does that. And he gives him a chalkboard and some chalk. And he goes, I want you to go in any direction you want, walk as far away from me as you want, and I want you to write a message on that chalkboard and then erase it and then come back. So Conan Doyle goes about three blocks away, writes his message, wipes it off, comes back. And he's like, okay, now let's hang up that chalkboard in the middle of the room. So he hangs it up in the very middle of the room. And he's like, all right, and grab that cup of ink and take a spoon and fish out that cork ball. Takes it out, places it near the slate, and drops the cork ball. I'm pretty sure he drops the cork ball on the slate and that ink-covered ball begins to write out the message that he wrote on that chalkboard three blocks away. Mm-hmm. And Conan Doyle was like blown, blown away. And he's like, there's there's no way. You, you have to be in touch with the spirits. And he's like, no, that's what I'm trying to tell you. He's like, this 
is above anything any medium is going to do in front of you. And it is a trick that I can 100% do without any other help. Yeah. And if I can do that and it will blow you away that hard, the rest of that stuff that you're believing is fake. They're fooling you. But Arthur Conan Doyle wouldn't, wouldn't settle for it. Eventually he talks him into letting his wife do a session for, for Houdini. Okay. Houdini's not about it, but he's like, you know, whatever, I'll appease the guy. Oh, no. Is she going to call upon his mom? He, She calls upon his mom, tugs his heartstrings. Now, there's some issues with it. So she goes into her trance, and she mm-hmm. begins automatic writing. And she writes a message out for Houdini. She also begins to draw crosses on the page for Houdini. And then Houdini's like, well... My Hungarian mother didn't know how to write English, at least not well, not as well as you're writing it down. Yeah. So she wouldn't have written it in English if she had a message for me. Yeah. And she also was the wife of a Jewish rabbi, so I doubt she'd be putting crosses on the page as well. I want to know what the note said. So he is not for it, and it goes in two ways. Some people, I've seen this reported, some people say that Houdini uh, was so calloused by that event that it sent him on a vengeful quest to disprove all mediumship and seances. Mm -hmm. Some people say that he was on a search for the person that couldn't, or the person that could prove him wrong and run into the actual medium. And he was just running into the, the fakers the whole time. I I I'm kind of in the middle. I feel like he he did he was angry at the people that were were taking advantage of heartbroken people like himself. For sure. But I do think that he was open to it. And I think that there was like if you did run into that person and he couldn't prove him wrong, I think he would actually be happy by that and not overly frustrated. Yeah, I was going to say I think that I think that if anything it would make uh, more sense mm-hmm. as far as the how far out of his way he went to go do this sort of thing mm-hmm. if he because that's not really he wouldn't really have any personal gain out of just putting him all out of work but if he could find one mm-hmm. that could actually do it mm-hmm. then for sure but let me tell you he definitely went out of his way yeah he offered a and remember we're talking 1920s yeah a th- there's different reports anywhere from a thousand to ten thousand dollars 1920s money wow for a medium to prove him wrong, to give him a seance and not have him disprove them. Hold on, I'm gonna see how much ten thousand dollars worth is in nineteen twenties. Be a hundred and twenty be a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Not chump change. No. So he offers this big reward. Yeah. And then he starts just busting people out. He gets a team together. And while he's doing his magician's tour, you know, he's still doing his show, still doing that, he sends them out ahead of him. So, like, a couple towns ahead, so they've got time, and they go out and find all the mediums around town, and they go through a seance to get information for him. And and so that way, when he makes it into town, he can get clued in. Those are his feelers? That's his feelers. Now, this team actually was led by a a woman named Rose Mackenberg, um... Yeah, so Rose would go out, and she's actually got a really cool story. Um, She was written about by the New York Times, and she was kind of his right-hand woman and would go out and and 
and seek out these people and and bring him back this information and he would either go to the medium go through in disguise because it's he's houdini at this point everybody knows him yeah and it'd be like brad pitt trying to go to um, like everyone knows what his face looks like i feel like it'd be hard to do so he goes himself. in disguise to these seances and we'll bust them out right then we'll let them do their thing and then jump up and bust them out and be like you are a fraud good sir or he would have his act as usual in the theater and do the tricks that the mediums around town would do on stage oh. and be like, oh, and if you want to see this done again, go to go to Madame Leo's down the street because that's where I, I figured it out from and would bust people out on stage. Dang. Putting everybody on blast. Yeah. he. Uh, it got to the point where he had to go around carrying a gun and all of his uh his team led by rose he was like y'all y'all probably want to stay strapped yeah. because they're not going to be happy if they figure out who you are can you imagine making a living doing that just conning people out of i mean i get being a potentially a con man if you're just a good enough liar but i feel like, like nowadays people would be expect it to be more of a show than anything despicable. sometimes you'll buy you know sometimes you'll open yourself up to it Oh, there are like reality TV shows about different oh, different yeah. mediums and stuff like that now mm-hmm. on MTV and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm sorry, it's too much. And like I said, some of it, I, I, to what degree I don't know. Do I think you're messing with something? Is probably the best way I can put that. Yes. I do think the people, a portion of the people that claim to be mediums are messing with something that they don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do think that. I feel like if if somebody had the capacity to talk to the dead, first of all, I don't think that it would be something that is necessarily sought after, depending on who you are. Mm-hmm. I feel like it wouldn't be something that you could potentially control, given whatever situation. Mm-hmm. So it makes me just question it kind of right off the bat. How, like I, like I wouldn't want to be calling upon dead people, even if I could. How I, I would be trying to avoid that at any, at any way, cost. shape, form. Yeah, but you at this point. The majority of people are doing this to contact their loved ones. Yeah. So they don't think they're just opening themselves up. They think they're calling on a specific person. Like I get the, I get people like going in and and talking to I mean like the mediums themselves. It's just a uh, yeah. That's a, that's another way. I, I don't know. I, I'd say they're gotta be some in some capacity real, or they got a loss the most nerve, the most nerve, the most. <laughs> So in Houdini's book, A Magician Among the Spiritualists, which I'm definitely going to be ordering, yeah, he goes into detail about some of the cases he busted. So Houdini mentions a Henry Slade in Chapter 6 of his book, uh, titled Dr. Slade and His Spirit Slates. Slade made a mint, and this is also this is um, sourced from Flashback.com. Slade made a mint in New York City before rocking up to London via a stint 
at Imperial University of St. Petersburg under the authority of Grand Duke Constantine of Russia as a medium expert in psychic investigation. In London, the self-styled doctor earned another fortune in quick time offering communication with the dearly departed. And then his scam became as transparent as the ghost he conjured. Houdini explains Slate's undoing while touring in Europe, and this is quoted from his book, while touring Europe in 1920, I had the pleasure of meeting Sir Ray Lancaster and hearing from him an account of Dr. Slade's undoing. Both he and Dr. Horatio Donkin were physicians. They had been laying their plans to expose two other mediums, Hearn and Williams, but Slade's unexpected arrival in London changed these plans and instead they plotted the seance which proved to be Slade's downfall. Donkin was away from London at the time, but Sir Lancaster wired him and, while waiting for his return, attended one of Slade's seances. He pretended to Slade that he came to see if spirits would write a message on the slates as if he held them himself. Slade assured him that they would make arrangements for a second sitting. Before Sir Lancaster left, Slade asked him if he, were, if he had been in communication with any departed relatives. No, but I have an Uncle John, Sir Lancaster replied. Consequently, at the second sitting, the following message was received. I am glad to see you here again, John. But have you an Uncle John, I asked. No, Houdini, he replied, smiling. That is why everyone laughed in the, in the courtroom at the time of the trial. You see, Slade th thought I was a firm believer, and I allowed him to distract my attention. So this guy's main thing was he would have slates of chalk board and chalk mm -hmm. and would claim that these writings would messages would come on this chalkboard and so houdini tricked him into thinking like oh yeah i have this one relative and there was no such animal and busted him out mm. and at this time it was a serious offense in several countries if you got busted conning people like this yeah they nowadays if, if at the worst people would consider it entertainment and you know what you're getting into yeah so there's no harm that could come of a person. Then you would get busted for fraud and for defrauding people out of their money. Oh, yeah. And would get thrown in jail. So he that's why it mentions him going to trial. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Siebert Commission for Investigating Modern Spiritualism, a group named after his founder, Henry Serbert, and consisted of faculty members of the University of Pennsylvania, investigated a number of respected spiritualist mediums, uncovering fraud and suspected fraud in every case that they examined. They hired the steam magician Henry Keller to show the Slade's slate writing. Keller told the, the skeptics to bring their own slates. They all sat down around the table with hands resting, palms down on its top. The commission opened the sitting by writing questions on the slates. Keller held them under the table with a thumb on top, and when he withdrew them, a few moments they had answers to the questions written in clear, round hand. The questions gradually became longer and longer, but the replies kept pace with them, sometimes covering a whole side of the slate. Although the slates were all different and could not possibly mistake, be mistaken for one another, the commission began to put identifying marks on them. Once no pencil was put on the top of the slate, the reply came just the same. This fact was commented upon Keller. Oh, my spirits can write without pencils, a statement which puzzled the members of the commission all the more. Finally, the magician asked them to write a question on a slate and cover it with another, placing the pencil between the two. Even this did not bother the, quote, spirits, for when the slates were returned, both sides were found covered in writing. 
Harry Houdini harks back to the commission's report on Heller's performance. An eminent professional juggler performed, in our presence, three of the commission, some independent slate writing far more remarkable than any of which we have witnessed with mediums. In broad daylight, a slate perfectly clean on both sides was, with a small fragment of slate pencil held under a leaf of small ordinary table, around which we were seated. The fingers of the juggler's hands pressed the slate tight against the underside of the leaf while the thumb completed the pressure and remained in full view clasping the leaf of the table. Our eyes never left for the fraction of a second lost sight of that thumb. It never moved, and yet in a few minutes the slate was produced, covered with writing. Messages were there, and still are there, for we preserved the slate. Written in French, Spanish, Dutch, Chinese, Japanese, for one of our number, the juggler subsequently repeated the trick and revealed its every detail. The method which Keller used, and which he subscribed to me, was this. With the consent of the owner of the hotel, whom he agreed to pay for any damage, he had a small trap made in the floor of the room, about as large as a hot air register, with the necessary means of opening and closing it. A, pl a plush rug with rectangular designs was placed over this trap and one of the designs, which was just the size of the trap, was cut out with a razor, these cuts being imperceptible. The piece of rug was glued firmly at the top of the trap. In addition to these preparations, Keller brought a specimen of every variety of slate to be found at the downtown section of Philadelphia. When the time for the seance arrived, Barney, Kelly's clever young assistant, was seated on a platform in the room underneath the trap with the assortment of slates by his side. As soon as the commission was seated around the table, he opened the trap and then could hear all that was said in the room above. When the exhibition commenced, he simply took the slate Keller put under the table leaf, selected from his assortment to match, wrote on it the answer, then slipped it under Keller's fingers. In the case of a marked slate that he used instead of a duplicate, of course, it was perfectly easy for Keller to do this part without removing his thumb from the top of the table. A fake, pure and simple, you will say, Keller remarked to me, and then added, but that's what all spiritualistic manifestations are. Is fake? Oh. Yeah. That's what uh, Houdini's saying about it? Yeah. Sorry, I know that was a mouthful. So they got this guy who's getting messages back. Basically, he paid off the hotel to let him cut a hole in the ceiling so he could drop these through the table, through the floor, have an assistant write them, pass them back up. Still an amazing sleight of hand trick. That is so much to go through to get over on a court. So much. But they were making so much money at this at a time. Yeah. Houdini recorded even as much as $500,000 would be traded. Like, people were desperate to talk to their dead Wow. So that's why he was on such a crusade against this. So he... He didn't get uh, convicted or anything like that? Th well, this guy at the time, I believe the convictions were kind of calming themselves down. You were just kind of ran out of town at that point. Yeah. You weren't like thrown in jail. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, he got, he got fully busted. Wow. Fully busted. And a lot of accounts like that continue. The only place I can find them, though, is in his book. Um, Houdini had a lot of accounts like that. But the only place I can find them are excerpts from his actual book. Uh-huh. All right. So there was one other person that he had his biggest confrontation with that has been written the most about. Okay. And we'll get into that one now. Houdini's longest and most publicized confrontation with a spirit medium began in 1924 
when he took on a formidable Boston woman named Mina Crandon, known publicly as Marjorie. The 36-year-old wife of a prominent Boston surgeon, Crandon was the most serious contender for a $2,500 prize offered by Scientific American, a group Houdini was a part of, okay. as an expert. That such a contest was sponsored by a, a venerable publication, evidence that psychical research was considered a legitimate area of scientific inquiry at the time. Houdini, always eager to be seen as more than a mere entertainer, was delighted to join the investigative committee, which included some of the world's most distinguished psychical researchers. Now, it's funny because they say he was invited, but other sources I've seen uh, was pretty much that he just kind of barged in because he told the committee they should be doing this for a while. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, sure, sure, sure. Never said any plans with him, and then they made plans with Marjorie. Yeah. He found out about it, canceled shows, showed up, and was like, I'm here to help you investigate. And we were like, okay, he just jumped in. That's, all right, whatever. <laughs> what was up, Houdini? Do whatever he wants, I guess, at that point. Did pretty much. With the Scientific American Committee taking months to issue a definitive statement on the case, Houdini published the following pamphlet at his own expense in November, fully expecting it to settle the matter once and for all. To his great disappointment, it did not. In January 1925, Houdini staged a dramatic expose at Boston Symphony Hall with the Crandon's reply with her own presentation days later at Jordan Hall. Only in February, when the Crandons declined any further tests or encounters with Houdini, did the committee vote to deny her the prize. Ironically, Marjorie's final unmasking did not come at the hands of the world-famous Houdini at all, but by a Harvard graduate student in psychology later that spring. Still, Houdini had come out on top. By the end of the year, his career peaked with a one-man show on Broadway. But let's go into his excerpt, titled Marjorie the Medium Exposed. In order that the reader may thoroughly understand my relation to the, quote, Marjorie case and the Scientific American, and to make this record as complete and clear as possible, I will first review briefly my connection with the magazine's investigation of so-called psychic phenomena. Something like three years ago, I was asked to write a series of articles on spiritualism for the Scientific American, but I had to refuse owing pressure of work. Later, a Mr. James Black furnished the magazine with a number of articles which were published, but these were so inaccurate that they were assailed, and justly so, from all sides. Having thus stirred up a hornet's nest and not having a sufficient knowledge of spiritualism to meet the situation, one of the oldest editors of the Scientific American and my friend for over a quarter of a century, Mr. A.A. Hopkins, wrote me again urging that I prepare some articles on spiritualism for them. They discussed the Black articles with me and asked why was that I would not write on spiritualism for them. So let's jump ahead to what he wrote, Mr. Bird. Dear Mr. Bird, I have just been informed by Mr. Hopkins that you have already selected a committee to serve as investigators for the $5,000 offered to the mediums. So that there is no mistake in this, I would like to have it understood emphatically that I consent to be one of your committee and I was under the condition that, number one, I am to know each and every man selected, number two, that all conditions placed before the mediums should be thoroughly gone over with me so that there could be no loophole for anyone to misconstrue the conditions of the manifestations required. Number three, another condition is that the select committee will go to a number of seances for investigation purposes so that we could get on the line for each other regarding the capability of actually recording and writing what was seen 
as mal observed is the curse of all description that sounds reasonable you know, for the most part, except he's pretty much saying, I want to be informed of everything. And yeah, he's saying, I'm, I'm the boss. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, you know, just run everything by me and we're good. Yeah. So he wrote for days and days. So we're going to jump a little bit ahead to when he's talking about Marjorie. He was asked, do you believe this medium is genuine? Houdini said, I asked him this because although a raw amateur at investigating, which amounts to a profession in itself, and with no experience with or knowledge of the production of mysteries he had nevertheless given his approval to several mediums and failed to detect the conjuring trick methods his reply was near as i can remember was quote why yes she is genuine she does resort to trickery at times but i believe she is 50 or 60 percent genuine then you mean that this medium will be entitled to the scientific american prize i asked i being houdini mr bird i replied you have nothing to lose but your position and very likely you can readily get another if you are wrong. But if I am wrong, it will mean the loss of reputation and I have been selected to one of the committee. I do not think it will be fair for you to give this medium that award unless I am permitted to go up to Boston and investigate her claims, and from what you tell me, I am certain that this medium is either the most wonderful in the world or else a very clever deceptionist. If she is a fraudulent medium, I will guarantee to expose her. And if she is genuine, I will come back and be her most strenuous supporter. Okay. Okay. So now we're going to talk about the actual seance. So they're essentially all getting together to like, are they all going to watch her perform it? They're all going to be essentially a part. Oh, a part of, of the, it? A part of the seance itself, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, they're not going to watch it because that would also imply that it's a show. True. So they're like, okay, we'll be a part of it, see what she can do. At this seance, Dr. Crandon sat on the medium's right and held her right hand, and J. Malcolm Bird, as had been customary in their previous seances, circled with one of his hands the fingers of both the mediums and her husband. This left one of Bird's hands free for exposing purposes, as she said. All right, he goes into so much detail, so we're going to jump ahead a little bit on this seance. One of the successful demonstrations which she had been given and which none of the committee had been able to expose, says Houdini again, involved the use of an electric bell enclosed in a box 14 inches long by 6 inches wide and 5 inches deep. Again, very precise, because to get out of a milk box, you gotta, you're gotta you going to be very anal about everything. Yeah. This box was stoutly fastened on all sides except for the top, which was covered with boards. Inside the box with the bell were dry batteries, which rang it whenever a certain pressure at the top of the box completed the circuit. In previous seances, when this box had been placed in front of Miss Crandon and the sitters, supposedly they had perfectly controlled, which is held hands and feet so they could not detect any motion, the bell had been rung repeatedly, and the explanation was given that Walter, the medium's dead brother, had closed the circuit. Not only had the bell been rung, but it had been used with a code to answer questions. So this, during this lady's seance, Walter, her dead brother, supposedly is ringing this bell which seems like it was rang by someone pressing it. So she set that up ahead of time with her dead brother? Let's see. So on the evening in question, the bell box was placed between my feet, Houdini's feet, with my right foot between it and Mrs. Crandon's left foot. As the seance progressed, I could distinctly feel her ankle slowly and 
spasmatically sliding as it pressed against mine while she gained space to raise her foot off the floor and touch the top of the box. To ordinary sense of touch, the contact would have seemed the same while this was being done. At times, she would say, quote, just press hard against my right ankle so you can see that my ankle is here. And as she pressed, I could feel her gain another half inch. When she finally maneuvered her foot around a point where she could get at the top of the box, the bell ringing began and I positively felt the tendons of her leg flex tightly as she repeatedly touched the ringing apparatus. There is no such question in my mind about it. She did this. Then when the ringing was over, I plainly felt her leg slide back into the original position with her foot on the floor beside mine. And there's several more things, but I'm going to sum- summarize them because you see the kind of depth he goes into. Yeah. The reason he felt this to begin with was Houdini for hours prior tied his legs off with rope to cause like poor circulation. And you know when you, you're like your leg goes numb and it gets real throbby and everything is super sensitive. Mm -hmm. He did that on purpose. So that way he could feel her slip her foot out of her shoe, touch this bell, touch it in succession to make messages. So you'd be like buzz twice for yes, once for no. And she was making this happen. And then she would slide her foot back in her shoe without anyone noticing. Huh? But she would say, no, 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 where feet are touching the whole time. So I couldn't have done it. Oh. Wow. Yeah. How did she get how did she get her foot out of her shoe? I mean, I guess it's not hard that hard to do. Just a lot of practice of being able to slip it out yeah. like super tenderly. And then just not move at all, but like mm-hmm. ding a little ding a little bell. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how far away it was. That would be hmm. I'm to disprove that. Mm-hmm. That'd be rough. And that's only one number one? That's only one. And we're already getting a little long, so I won't do the rest of them. But in summary, she would do some other things. And it's this test. He was very determined to prove this specific person wrong. Yeah. To the point where he planted things to make her look fake or to give her the opportunity to fake. Well, I mean, to give the opportunity, I could see. But he'd done it. And then the other people of the committee were like, now we don't know what she's faking and what you put here, you Uh, idiot. Yeah. Because he got to the point where he was like, okay, whatever, then let's put her in a box to where only her arms and her head sticks out so she can't use her feet to tap this bell. Okay. But then he would put something like big enough to pry herself out of the box in the box. And then she called it out. So he was hoping she would just see it and use it, and he could be like, ha-ha, I knew that was there. Oh. But she was like, this is in here, and bust him out. So there would be times he would catch her. There would be times she would catch him trying to foil her, and it all was convoluted. And then there's some things that can't be explained because there would be times that she would have that disembodied voice come out of her. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there'd be other silly tests. I say silly, but it was the best I could think of that the committee would do. Like they would put a measured amount of water into her mouth. And they would, I think they would color it so that way they, she couldn't just replace it with spit. Yeah. And be like, okay, now this is in your mouth. Now talk to us with the ghost. Because if you were actually talking, you couldn't do it with a mouthful of water and keep the same mouthful of water without swallowing it at least a little bit. Hmm. And she was able to pull that off. Huh. So wow, uh, there's yeah, it's be the one to come up with those tests, right? 
So it's a it's a tough one, but Houdini Houdini busted a lot of mediums, made a lot of enemies doing it. The original MythBuster. He was. That's cool. He was, and again, like I think he was hopefully looking to to maybe bust through and find the real one, and maybe talk to his mom. Yeah. But he never did. Maybe that first one just left him so jaded. It did, and it he felt. If, that's why I feel like he honestly was like open to the idea because he eventually made a contract with his wife and gave her a message and said, when I die for 10 years after my death, I will do everything I can to contact you if there is a way to contact you on the other side. Oh. So hold the seance. I'll give you the code. If you get the code, you know it's for real. If not, then this has been fake the whole time. His wife on Halloween night televised seances were held for 10 years and every year it didn't happen so after the 10th year she finally said i will not be hearing from my husband and she stopped doing them televised seances oh yeah you're gonna make a mint off of that yeah i guess and honestly i could even see it at some point some part of it's like Houdini was a very smart person and he yeah. knew this would get televised and knew it would be a crowd drawer. And if he might've just been like, this is my parting gift to make sure you're well off yeah. after I'm dead and that you've got some money to live on. Mm-hmm. But I think it was partly an experiment too. But even after she quit his brother, I think continued for some seances. Magicians to this day still do it every year on Halloween. Wow! And no one's ever heard anything from him. Um, and and yeah, so he 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 was even like, look, I think this has been bunk, but who knows? It might be legit. Try it, see what happens. And you earlier you had said that he had been done in by one of his, his experiment or his uh, escapes. I thought I remembered something about him drowning. It wasn't escapes. drowning, but it was still kind of one of his tricks. Yeah. So you ever seen, like, videos of people getting shot in the stomach with a cannon and they're fine? No. Not specifically. Oh. Well, some people can control their abdominal muscles so well and tense them just so that they can take a lot of, of uh, force mm-hmm. and be fine. Um, Houdini... I don't, I don't think he was the first person to do this, but it was one of his things. And he was he said he could take any gut punch from anybody and be just fine. Well, one day a college student, I think he was a college student, came up to him and was just like, hey, I heard you know you can take a punch from anybody. Is that true? And he was just like, yeah. And then like before he even got yeah out, the, the college kid just like wailed him. Reports say that he hit him a couple times, so we don't know if it's like the first one just caught him off guard or if he didn't expect him to do it a couple times and then the other blows did it. But he got hit hard enough that it ruptured his appendix. Damn. And that's what ended up doing him in. Wow. Yeah, maybe don't go around gloating that you can uh, that you can pretty much take on anybody. I get that you're a sensation, but yeah, which I mean, you're not he had done that trick many, many times. Yeah, on stage or prepared. Mm-hmm. So this guy just he caught him off guard. Some people don't even think it was that. Some people think that this Marjorie person planted somebody to poison him, and then that was just a staged thing to make oh, it wow. look like that's what did it. Yeah, uh, but his body never had an official autopsy. Oh, Marjorie, the one that they were testing? Right. Yeah, because this was a big feud. Ah. She even had a seance saying that he would die at a certain point. Oh, and wow. I don't think it was the year that he had passed, but yeah, the the feud was real. 
That's crazy. Yeah. But thus ends Houdini. Okay. Cool. Get a, get to see another side of him. Not so much of his uh, his illusionist. What made him famous necessarily? But it's exactly what gave him the skills to point out these other illusionists. Yeah. Makes me think of. Well, I don't know how much that movie is based around specifically what Houdini did, but there was uh, I don't know that big magical magic one. Uh, with Jesse Eisenberg a couple years back they ended up making a sequel for it too but um, like that these grand huge illusions are pulled off not necessarily dangerous stuff sometimes dangerous stuff but they use him for their inspiration a couple times but the the feud between magicians in general I feel like is oh yeah I'd be surprised if he didn't make some magician enemies too oh for sure when he came out with oh yeah this is how i've been doing blank and this is how i've been doing blank like you don't do that and always trying to debunk each other too mm-hmm. yeah or just like expose their tricks which to my knowledge i don't think he did that as much i think he really stuck to these these mediums i could be totally wrong on that one but mm-hmm. could have just been a dick yeah, he could have been i'm better than you i know how you did that trick yeah but yeah uh that's awesome yeah well Thanks for the uh, the history history lesson on part you know, well like maybe part one even potentially of Houdini. That was I feel like there's a lot more a lot more there. Well, maybe not enough for another episode. <laughs> there, well, we could circle back. But there's always more there, and there's I mean there's been some stuff before that we could. Yeah, there's there's some stuff that are a whole podcast. Oh yeah, Bigfoot alone is a whole podcast in mm-hmm. itself. Spiritualism, I'm sure there's many of them. Yeah. But I just I found this little bit of history out, and it made me dive more into seances, which I thought was interesting. Just like how they pulled them off. Yeah. And also, I just thought it was cool how he was just busting people out. Well, I'm glad that you kind of went with a debunking episode because I think that's gonna set the set the stage for for my next week too. Yeah, what you got planned? I'm gonna do the uh, the um, crop circles. Okay, nice crop circles and corn mazes and the ifs and ifs and debunks of, of mm-hmm. that and potential of how like how can not unexplainable essentially right so nice it's be fun look forward to it yeah no idea what i got planned next i know we have a couple suggestions that i'm planning on looking to see which one i want to do yeah we gotta look at the ones online but this and i gotta get that number tomorrow and get yeah. that up for everybody to leave messages <laughs> I would have gotten them any either way, but we'll mm-hmm. get the right one up there. Yeah. But I had fun doing this. I can't wait for the next one. I can't wait for your crop circles. Yeah. Yeah, this was awesome. So until the next time, everybody, you can reach us on creepycampfirepodcast at gmail.com. You or can you email us on Instagram. That's right. Email us, message us your stories, and don't forget the new phone line where you can also call in and leave us a message. What's the number? 916-359-9446. Cool. And I'll have it in the show notes for you guys listening. That way you can just click and call us. Uh, but, yeah, we can't wait to hear from you. We're really excited about this and just excited for what new stuff we can do to always be making the show better for you. And hopefully it makes it easier to get some of those listener stories in so we can potentially still get that episode together. Yeah, well, and, and I'd like to make it a regular segment. That way, like, you know, it could be a listener story of the week oh, yeah. situation. And Ideally. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, all right. Well, until next time, everybody, stay, stay toasty. toasty.